ventured into the wild world of tiktok chances are you've encountered uh the account phantom universe here with us tonight is one of my personal favorite content creators rivas orion rivas welcome to beam screams and dreams how are you i'm doing well how about you guys thanks for having me absolutely great yeah happy to have you here uh you know i was uh talking with ashley you've been one of my favorite uh accounts to follow since you know the beginning of quarantine and everything like that uh, how did how did you get started, and what brought you into you know your content that you create? It's pretty specific. What, what, yeah. Where'd your interest start there? Could you tell us a little bit about what you create? So I guess from the beginning, I've always been relatively interested in ancient artifacts. Not so much the history, but like how old is that thing? Wow, that's so cool. But you know, as a kid, it was just that's as far as it went. But then back in 2015, uh, Joe Rogan had the uh, Randall Carlson on his podcast, and through that conversation, he went over like the geological features of the end of the last ice age when you know we had massive flooding from the glacial ice, and you know cosmic events and all sorts of mythology and stuff like that. And you know, just watching that one podcast just sent me down this rabbit hole. I just consumed as much of Randall Carlson's videos as I possibly could. I've literally watched all of them. Haven't found one I haven't seen yet. Um, and just anything on the topic of ancient history, ancient mysteries, and what was mankind doing during the ice age has kind of been my thing. And I just kind of went down this rabbit hole for five years. What I would do is with my current job, I would just plug in and listen to anything like audiobooks, podcasts, documentaries, YouTube videos, anything audible I can get my hands on. I would just sit there, file metal, and just you know disappear into classroom lectures of history. A funny story. I had a friend who was looking through my you know YouTube history one time because he's like, "What do you watch?" And he's like, "Dude, I can't watch any of these videos." I'm like, "Why?" Because <laughs> they're all two-hour-long classroom lectures about history, and I just can't do that. <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, well, when when you're actually interested, it it is pretty dope." So I had just I gained all this knowledge. You know, I just had this like packed in my head, and like had a bunch of notes that. You're probably super complex for somebody who has never seen it before to read. But um, uh, there's a game called Overwatch. And I would get on there and just screw with people. I would create a lobby called This Information Will Shatter Your Reality. And people would join in. And I would just lay out this argument that I had constructed from all this information that I had collected on the argument for humans during the Ice Age being a technologically advanced civilization. Obviously, you get people that argue with you, but the majority of the people I spoke with came out just completely like, wow, dude, you have completely shattered my reality. So, so one thing that I, I find very interesting about your content is that you go against a lot of 
uh, basically what the history channel has become, as you know, is uh, the entire Von Daniken style of ancient aliens. And I feel like yeah. I flipped the script on them in a, in a very intelligible way that I feel like maybe you should be the one running some of these history channel programs <laughs> at this point. Uh, and specifically when it comes to what you're we talking about right there, which is the, uh, you know, the younger dryas uh, period. Definitely. And, and that's one thing I got enough, not enough people know about. Like yeah. we're talking, but th this is an event that took place literally yesterday on a geological sense of time. And most people aren't aware of exactly when the ice age was. 15,000 years ago was the peak basically just now coming out of the last glacial maximum where we had 17 million square miles of ice two miles thick covering the northern hemisphere of the planet. And between 13 and 11,000 years ago, the climate changed completely. There's evidence, strong evidence to suggest that the earth was hit by a comet. The earth passed through the tail of a disintegrating comet and was hit by multiple objects from space, causing them this massive temperature fluctuation that resulted in all of that glacial ice melting rapidly. And all of that water had to go somewhere. So the ocean levels rose by 400 feet to where they are now in our modern day. And 12,000 years ago, when this took place, humans just like you and I were walking the surface of the earth. And it would have appeared to whoever survived off of any coastline or island as if their entire world just went underwater. And which, it was which, this, go ahead. That would be a, a great uh, a story passed down as an explanation for the flood myth, of course. Many flood myths, the right. flood. Well, they, have one, they have one in like every ancient culture. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now floods happen all the time. You know, some people be like, oh, you know, floods happen all the time. It's just a collection of everybody experiencing a flood at some point. It's like, well, yeah, you're not wrong. But we're talking about the big one, yeah. the one that literally killed literally like the I forget the exact percentage, but 127 species of megafauna, massive animals went extinct alone in that time period. Mammoths hung in there for a little bit while on a little tiny island. They became pygmy mammoths, little tiny mammoths. It's actually really hilarious. But sure, um, I think they were yeah. existing with the uh, Homo floresiensis. Is that where they, they, they uh, picked That sounds right. Um, they, they survived on this little island right above S Siberia that you right. know, stayed above the water. Yeah. So they were, they were around for a while. But you know, the current model is that prior to 11,000 years ago and back, humans were just small hunter-gathering tribes still living in caves, hunting mammoths into extinction with stone spears and farming along a civilization hadn't started yet. And, you know, it's like, okay, so we're talking humans caused 2 million mammoths to go extinct in the span of just a few hundred to a thousand years. I mean, when you look at all the tusks that they were pulling out of Siberia during the 1800s for the ivory, it, it just, it'll blow your mind just looking at shelves and shelves and shelves of hundreds of thousands of tusks. Oh, we also even- Yeah, it doesn't make much sense to me. We all you even know from uh, even just mainstream history courses that civilizations weren't just hunter-gatherer tribes back then either. Like whenever, like what we, what they teach us, you know, what is the- status quo for history i'm taking i'm taking my second history uh, class this semester in college and i'm just like well i've already learned all this stuff but you don't ever really dive into why it's always just like well we're going to study this one region or we're going to study this one people right, it's the Assyrians, and everyone else the Babylonians. everyone else was just a tribe person moving here around but they, we found these same civilizations all over the world dating back to the same mm -hmm. periods i mean definitely definitely i mean and like 
think of how many like cultures that have vanished between 11,000 years ago and now that we don't even know about, you know, that they never gained such a, you know, an abundance and like a population to where they didn't make their mark on the history, you know, and, and that happens often. That's just with small tribes, but, you know, metal doesn't last an extremely long period of time if it's not preserved in any way. So if these people 11,000 years ago or prior had any way of doing anything with any type of steel, it really wouldn't be recognizable as anything today from that amount of time. You know, and I, I give these people, I give people the thought of experiment of, you know, let's imagine that our civilization went through the same kind of cataclysmic event of 12,000 years ago at the onset of the Younger Dryas, where we experienced objects entering the atmosphere, burning 10% of the biomaterial on the surface of the earth, massive horrendous floods from the melting of the glacial ice, never ending torrential rain and hurricane winds on the scale you couldn't possibly imagine with massive earthquake and volcanic activity with the ocean levels rising 400 feet over a period of time. Needless to say, that would really fucking suck if I'm able to swear. Sorry. Sorry I, I... <laughs> and so, so let's now imagine that a broken New York now goes under 400 feet of water and then just sits there for 12,000 years. And to give you some perspective, the Titanic has been underwater for over 100 years now, and at its current rate of decay, give it another 500 to say a thousand more years for enough time, and you would no longer recognize there was ever a steel boat even there. It's going to dissolve into this lump, and the ocean floor is eventually just going to consume it. Right. So well, it's, by sediment as well. It's a, it's a, you know, all these things are made from organic material to begin with right. so it's only natural that when it decays it's going to become the same thing it's not going to stay in this like state of yeah here's a big exactly, iron exactly. permanent preservation and the titanic is actually going to be lasting longer because of the part of the ocean where it's at if it was close further up you know to a reef where like more you know sunlight was getting to it the amount of coral and life that would attach itself to it, it would just look like another a part of the ocean. Even though there's still a boat there, you wouldn't be able to see it anymore. So anyway, let's now imagine that New, that New York and everything off of every coastline and island disappears under hundreds of feet of water and just sits there for 12,000 years. Well, we could probably agree at that point that most, if not everything, would either be completely gone or unrecognizable to whoever would exist later if they searched their oceans to begin with. And keep in mind, we've only searched 8% of our oceans today. I'm pretty sure that's the number. So the only thing any survivors would still see from us if they made it that far and long would be whatever was still on land. And the only material, if it wasn't destroyed, changed, or manipulated by future cultures to move into these areas, that maybe might retain a glimpse of what it was before through the thousands upon thousands of years of erosion it's about to go through, would be whatever we carved from stone, like Mount Rushmore and the ruins of Hoover Dam. And all we have from our ancient past is what they carved from stone. And they are the greatest structures this planet has ever seen and has never seen again since. Well, I found that fascinating too. And uh, I've seen in a couple of your videos, uh, some of the, the references you even make to uh, the Sphinx uh, and yeah. uh, different types of erosion that we find on the Sphinx as well. You know, uh, water erosion at the bottom and sand erosion at the top. Wind erosion. Uh, wind, yeah. wind and sand erosion, mm -hmm. uh, the gradual erosion. And thinking about these uh, coastal areas too, if we raise the sea level 400 feet from where it was, where, do, where does most of human civilization live? On the coast, uh, always yeah. have. Yep. So anything that was of any kind of substance would have disappeared. You're obviously going to impact the population immediately. Which is, it was just something that I think of uh, a lot, you know, 
Uh, think of a landmass like North America and what could have been here, for instance, South America. Um, they also had Doggerland. Uh, is that right? Doggerland uh, off the coast of Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, tons of places that are underwater, giant landmasses underwater. Uh, with that, I mean, we were talking about the uh, Younger Dryas. I've written a note about the Hiawatha Crater that had been mm-hmm. discovered as well as a possible impact site uh, for that, that Younger Dryas in Greenland. Yes. Could you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? Well, we, we don't, unfortunately, we don't know a whole lot about it yet because NASA found it. It was back in 2017. I'm pretty sure it was when they found it. And it was just from like a satellite imagery or something like that. And they've done LIDAR on it, I'm pretty sure, that to where we can see the actual crater. Because right now it's still, the crater itself is still full of ice. Under the cavern. But the glacier is retreating enough to where, you know, you can see the outline of it. And uh, they're estimating it to be between at least 13 to possibly 200,000 years old. Might have been 2 million. I'm not positive on that. But they do date it to be a younger crater without preserved it is. Now, there's two problems with that. that it's either that it's younger or that it's been preserved underneath that ice cap for an extremely long period of time. And until people get down there, you know, to actually date it further, because dating, I'm pretty sure you have to like be there in person to take samples. For samples. Now, old, that I kind of thing is. Starting out at least. Yeah. We, and we just, we just don't know yet. And that's just mm-hmm. it. It's a candidate, likely candidate for an impact spot. And it just, it needs to be studied more 100%. And that's just in its infancy. So- um, Go ahead. This the younger dryas period. Um, is there an estimate, or do you have a theory about how long it took for those the seas to rise, and how long that the Earth was experiencing that? So I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but let me let me walk you through exactly basically what took place. So you're at the peak of the ice age, fifteen thousand years ago, and then around twelve thousand eight hundred years ago, the whole planet gets a massive spike in temperature globally, likely the initial impact event that sends the whole planet up into this superheat and then back down into the super cold freezing. And that freezing event is called the Younger Dryas. It's 1,100 years of freezing, gripping essentially the entire planet. And then abruptly around 11,000, 11,800 years ago, I wanna say, might've been six, we come right back up out of that freezing. Now, during those two heat spike events, the initial one and the second one, we have two pulses called Meltwater Pulse 1A for the initial one and Meltwater Pulse 1B for the last one. There was melting happening in between all that, but essentially there was a massive influx of water into the ocean at the beginning, it paused, and then the rest of it all of a sudden just came out of nowhere. So it was basically two flooding events, technically. But um, it's estimated that it took, you know, it's possible that the ocean levels rose at least 25 to 28 feet in one day at one point. And that, that would, uh, yeah, that would be, that would be bad. Yeah. Substantial. As as somebody that's uh, native from new Orleans and we're already 10 feet underwater, uh, 25 plus feet coming at once after having seen just hurricane Katrina, nine feet. See the yeah. something like that could do. Yeah, uh, I couldn't imagine the catastrophe that. I mean, we'd be, lo- like, without, any, we'd be any, lucky here in Colorado not to get water. Any, yeah, any coastal <laughs> region would just be absolutely devastated. Um, to to build on that younger dryas and and the idea of you know lost technology, this is something that Ashley and I had spoken about before. Is when you do see civilization start to pick back up, you know, who do you see? You see uh, Babylonians, the Assyrians. And those don't come from the Akkadians, the, Akkadians. the Egyptians, but we also have all the, right. the 
you know, East Asian empires as and it, well. And civilizations like that don't just rise overnight. They do take thousands of years of knowledge being gained and passed down for you to build something of a substance that could even be considered an empire. That's so, just it, though. That, that's the crazy thing. It's as if the earliest civilization already knew it. Exactly. Right. They, they just had it. It's like they were already writing it down and they knew it perfectly, essentially, from our perspective. And it's like, where, how did they do all that? Just yesterday, they were living in caves. Right. Where are they writing all this stuff down with? Yeah. And with a site uh, like Gobleki Tepe, mm -hmm. you have in Turkey, uh, that's, I think, now dated to about twelve to 13,000 years ago, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, we're already seeing carvings and, and you know, proto- uh, almost hieroglyphic language, you know, that did not arise overnight. So I think there's, a, I think that your the theory holds a lot of water for that younger Dryas impact, and for there to have been a society that was capable of, you know, technological advanced, technologically advanced, uh, you know, thought and process as well. Well, what's the scope of technological advance that you describe when you talk about the these ancient people? Well, let, let me put it into perspective, coming back, coming to the Great Pyramid. Okay, this is what whoever they were, were capable of doing. If hypothetically, the Great Pyramid is way older than we originally thought. Okay, got to put that in there. Okay, I don't believe the old Kingdom Egyptians built the Great Pyramid. Let's just get that out of the way. So let's imagine this. We today are going to build a four-sided pyramid that size consisting of 2.3 million individual multi-ton stone blocks, some of them up to the size of a minivan weighing as much as a semi-truck. And the internal stones are quarried from granite, uh, carved out of the rock from 500 miles away in Aswan. And it's cut so perfectly to each other that you can't fit a razor blade in between the blocks as they butt up to each other. If you were to cut one of those internal blocks wrong, or just set it down wrong by a degree, each block after that above it or around it would then be wrong and gradually worsen in error as construction continued, causing the internals to warp and if bad enough, making the entire pyramid bulge, lean or spiral before reaching the top and not come to a perfect point with all of its corners. That's for a four-sided pyramid. Most people aren't aware that the Great Pyramid is an eight-sided pyramid. At the center of each side, there's another corner that divides that triangle into two. It has like this concavity in it. Actually, sure. I, have, I don't have, oh yeah, it's right here. Boosh, okay. So those lines represent another corner at the okay. center of the Great Pyramid, right? Okay, so. I would have to go ahead and say right out of the gate, that's something I did not know. Oh yeah, man, go look it up. Ty just type on Google Images, Great Pyramid of Giza, eight sides and just look at it. Okay. So on a four-sided pyramid, that's difficult. Put eight sides on your pyramid, like the Great Pyramid, and you complicate the geometry of the structure alone so drastically mathematically that you are at least eight times more likely to get that precision and symmetry wrong. And that doesn't include the rooms and hallways on the inside. That intricacy is staggering. And what we were taught is that the Old Kingdom Egyptians, 4,500 years ago, roughly, built the Great Pyramid using copper chisels and stone hammers with sleds because the wheel had not been introduced into Egypt yet, and they were able to do it from start to finish in 20 years. So if we today were going to build that structure that way in 20 years, we would have to continuously place a perfectly cut block perfectly every five minutes, 24 hours a day, nonstop for 20 years. And that level of precision 
stamina, and speed is not achievable with our current economic systems nor our technology today. Just the conveyor belt system of stone alone to move it to the site would take an industrial scale unprecedented in history. And this is just for one pyramid. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's, that's there, pretty fascinating. There's whole complexes. Yeah. I mean, not just yeah. the pyramids, but also their, their temples and their yeah. incredibly what? massive you know, statues and, and structures. Well. Yeah, everything else is all that's also going on in Egypt. The wars, the famines, the, the disease, everything is still happening to these people. They're not living in paradise. Right. right. And, and all the people like the theory or the common theory is that it's just all the people that live in the kingdom are building the pyramid. It's like the farmers over there cutting right. the stones and just putting you it up there. You still have to grow your wheat. You still right. have, you to, still have to do all these, but at the end of the day, you got to right. go build the pyramid for Pharaoh. Well, you can't really build anything in any society without a surplus of food and resources. Well, that personally. was that is a possibility, but it doesn't like causation doesn't equal or correlation doesn't equal causation. Right. Well, let's say that it would require a massive network of that force needed to be mobilized that we couldn't even really get together to get today. I mean how were you able to supply everybody with the food and resources necessary to keep them full-bellied muscles working you know able to able to move all all the material i mean that's pretty yeah and what's hilarious is that the narrative since the 1800s it's recently changed so i'll give them credit for that is that they basically whipped people to do it yeah, yeah. I, actually we were discussing that earlier and it's like if you have these enslaved people who aren't one they're not part of your culture two they're not part of your uh, you know, they're not part of your society, so they don't have the knowledge that you already have. Why would they be able to so effectively and so efficiently create something that is like your legacy? You know, right? When yeah. They wouldn't have that information, you wouldn't or be able to give it to someone, not and say, actively try to subterfuge, you yeah. know, and, and sabotage you at any step of the way, yeah. You know, that, and then, and then do all that, do everything, and then not put your name on it when you're done, right? Yeah, Kyle was here, yeah. <laughs> And I'll, I'll say this too, I'm a, I'm a machinist by trade. So to see uh, these works where, you know, there is not but a micron or two of space between these stones, I have CNC lays. I have every piece of high-tech equipment you could possibly imagine to make uh, landing systems for airplanes, right? Nice. Even with that. You guys still have a threshold. Even with that, there is a threshold within those that we are not hitting all the time. There mm -hmm. are still mistakes. So there's something that was known that was lost for sure. I mean, I'm there with each part measuring it with a micrometer and I can see variations enough to where if it's stacked over time, then your airplane's not landing correctly. Right. Oh yeah. Let alone giving you a structure that is going to withstand tens of thousands of years, ten thousand years worth of uh, worth of war, erosion, anything you name it. I mean, it's it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, and we, we don't have the full erosion on it because we, we the whole all of the pyramids, at least you know the, the three main ones, used to be completely encased in casing stones that was smooth all the way up and down. Right. And those stones likely had the original weathering on them, but they were removed uh, not too long ago to re repair Cairo. So tragic. Like yeah, pretty, pretty unfortunate, you know, to to just trash a piece of history but i mean we still see evidence of that today you know oh, somebody yeah. invades somewhere they're they're constantly destroying ruins and and evidence of previous civilizations because it doesn't fit their ideology or maybe uh necessarily exactly. even their their aesthetic so you know yeah. I, I find that so of all of all the places um that you've studied 
what to you is the most fascinating? The most fascinating place. I mean, I've been pretty obsessed with Egypt, you know. Yeah. I think I think there's something about that place that was meant to be there for us. That's what I, I feel. You look back at even, you know, just like like I was talking about earlier, their mainstream history, and they had such a a higher like more, more more elevated kind of social climate for a lot of people considering the time and like when you compare them to other ancient civilizations you know there was a lot really? more like even like poor people were able to have like you know those my house servant to help me with my kids or help me make beer or bread or whatever like it seemed like there was a lot more comfortable living even though they were like right. not fully like technologically missed as we are right now you know well, going to what Ryan was saying as well is that you know, he's not saying that these uh, the the Egypt that we even know of was the Egypt that built the Great Pyramids sure, in the first right. place. So, uh, and that would say that the 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 original builders were sometime uh, pre Younger Dryas, and that you know the Egypt that we all know and study is living in the ruins of that civilization. Yeah, and I would say that's the case for the majority of the cultures we are studying in these times. I think that the that we live on a on a car like a car crash and we had no idea something happened to this planet that completely changed everything about it to the type of life that was walking around on it to the very surface of the earth was changed and just the fragmented shadow of what was before peeking out through you know what we have found so far and one of the big things that a lot of people don't know about is the great line that goes around the planet. Have you seen that one? Is that uh, going with like the ley lines or is this a... Uh... Okay, yeah, uh, kind of linking the uh, the sites of some of our uh, our greater structures that we found, right? Yeah, so starting at the pyramids in Giza, and it's backwards to, to this, unfortunately, but going across- We're seeing it the right way, so it works out yeah. perfectly. <laughs> Oh, really? Very yeah. good. Okay. Well, it's backwards to me. Anyway, so starting at Giza, going across the Sahara through the Atlantic Ocean, across South America, through the Pacific Ocean to Easter Island on the most remote opposite side of the planet, all the way back around back to the pyramids are 21 ancient mysterious sites all on this same line with remarkable precision to one another. And many of the big important ones like Giza, South uh, parts of South America and Easter Island are spaced apart from one another using the golden ratio. And whoever was building the massive megalithic stonework, like what we find in Giza, South America, and on Easter Island, had the capability to quarry, move, and lift unbelievable large masses of rock above your head and cut and shape the stone with such a level of precision that you can't fit a razor blade and sometimes a human hair in between the blocks. Many, if not all of these sites have remarkable connections and astronomical alignments with the stars in the sky, along with sharing identical architecture, stone cutting and locking techniques, making many of these walls earthquake proof, which is why they have lasted as long as they have. And according to our current models of history, the majority of the people building these structures had absolutely no contact with one another. Right. Yeah, I would, I would say it implies a much greater uh, global network of, uh, of passing knowledge and travel you know, on, a, on a global scale. I don't see how else it would be possible. I, I don't either. And the thing is like each of these sites have been places that mankind has seen as sacred for an extremely long time. And they've purposefully been preserved and rebuilt upon in many of these areas. So it's kind of like, hmm, 
that's suspicious you know yeah. why are they picking that spot that's that's insane that interesting off of that golden ratio as well yeah is, which is phenomenal definitely and um there's this dude i forget his name i did a tiktok about it a long time ago but this guy did a ted talk about how he was like researching satellite orbits and stuff like that and um man i wish i remembered his name but anyway he typed in a two-day orbit in this program he was using and the orbit literally goes almost perfectly across that line of so they were tracking, structures they're tracking the stars at the same time they're tracking these spaces and this exact line all the way around the globe in ancient times when people are like nope nobody was even here right <laughs> yeah mm. i i think the idea that humans during the ice age were a global technologically advanced civilization like we are today and i would argue even greater makes way more sense then all of this just randomly popping up out of nowhere, randomly, and you know, giving birth to us. I mean, if there was an advanced civilization during the Ice Age, then you know, could they not have seen that destruction coming? And this goes off into a rabbit hole. Are you ready? Okay. Sure. Rabbit hole. Yeah. So technologically advanced civilization exists during the Ice Age. And you know, if they saw the destruction coming, could we could we not, you know? assume that they might try to escape the planet and specifically in the ancient Sumerian cuneiform tablets that the Bible actually borrows from their flood myths, they speak, uh, it's called the Epic of Gilgamesh. Yes. They oh, speak of how when, when the flood came that destroyed everything, the gods, the Anunnaki left the planet and wept in the heavens while they allowed it to, to happen. Well, that sounds like that. So let's imagine that this is technologically advanced civilization escapes the planet and go live somewhere else in the solar system or say universe for 3000 years from the perspective of earth they eventually gain the capability of coming back to the planet and they find nothing but a barren wasteland of what was before along with the descendants of the survivors who are just stone age people now with no memory of what was before only these myths and tales that their ancestors have been passing down for thousands of years these primitive people have also adopted the ruins of the previous civilization and have built around and on top of their scars, leaving their fingerprints on them, like the pyramids in Giza. So if we imagine an ancient group of people standing there in Egypt as a ball of light emerges out of the sky and two people walked out and start talking with them, they would absolutely believe that those were some of the gods from their myths or some kind of angel. And the word angel translates from hebrew as messenger. messenger and where do angels come from but the heavens and heaven has been depicted as up by thousands of cultures for thousands of years in their art and writing and up is also the direction of space so by definition angels are extraterrestrials and if this group of people who fled the planet long ago have been separated from our genetic code for twelve thousand years up until present day while traversing space and time they would absolutely start to show genetic differences from us. I would even say alien. And this answers two of the main problems a lot of you know, academics have with the idea of aliens. First of all, if they're an alien, they evolved on another planet in another galaxy somewhere really freaking far away. The amount of space they would have to traverse to get here to begin with is astronomical. That's if they even found us. Second, let's say they did get here. 
if they evolved on another planet in another atmosphere in another gravitational field, why would they, why would they look anything like anything here on earth? Sure. Why would they have two arms, two legs, two eyes? Okay. Well, here's the answers to those questions. They got here because they never went very far away and they're humanoid because they are us. Which I, I like that theory a lot better than, you know, you hear Strictly a lot of ancient aliens coming in right. and, and just saying here, have That's, this technology they, and right. There's two theories. Well, make humanity great. How many times have you heard there are us that are time travelers from the future where we have yeah. evolved or the opposite is, or, you know, just another theory is that they were just travelers from afar and came here and just, uh, just decided to share their knowledge, which would be like us trying to, you know, hand a laptop to an ant and say, come on, you got this, man. Yeah. And that answers that question too. It's like, why would they be interested in us at all? Well, because they are, we are their kin. We are their we're cousins, you know? Well, that's like, the mission of every great sci-fi movie. When they go to space, the whole idea is to proliferate the, the, the species and one day come back and save it or well, you know not or, star trek you have a prime directive yeah. you cannot interfere with a, a well, with your species. own though with your not own sure. species you know i mean that's like all that's the idea it's always like the the thought the sci-fi theory it's you know we're gonna leave the planet we're gonna take care of it and come back and what it'll wall wash over you know sure yeah i mean we're already we we have what um people going to mars with uh, elon musk and stuff and trying to tear supposedly we'll see if we get there yeah yeah shake you with the well, okay. yeah yeah he sent the when, car when, out when, when the planet can get off its knees we'll we'll, we'll shoot from ours yeah. yeah i think we got we got a lot bigger problems at home that we could probably tackle uh uh Rivas, we've got uh probably so we're, we're gonna try out something new here we've got a, a hat full of questions this is just gonna be something fun to wrap it up with and uh, we'll kind of just just a fun one to see what we come up with here. All right. <laughs> these are all random. It's not anything. All to do. random, unrelated to pretty much anything. Okay. <laughs> Can you do a celebrity impersonation? Huh. My father was a drinker and a fiend. And one night he goes off crazier than usual. Mommy grabs the kitchen knife to defend herself. He doesn't like that. Not one bit. So me watching, he takes the knife to her, laughing while he does it. He turns to me and he says, why so serious? He comes at me with the knife. Why so serious? And oh, sticks the blade in my mouth. I got that wrong. That Way better than I could do. I don't have. To, I've got none. We, we don't know what all these questions are, so that was that was our first time doing it, which is really that was fun. incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that. Got you. Or you got Bane. He's like, oh, so you think darkness is your ally? <laughs> in the dark. I love it, man. I love it. Oh, uh, Rose, I, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming to speak with us tonight. Like I said, we've been uh, big fans for a while. We're glad we were able to to get you on to uh, to come talk to us, and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll be we'll be seeing a lot more of you in the future. We're yeah. uh, definitely going to be sharing uh, not only your TikTok, 
but your YouTube channel. Is there anything else you'd like to uh, uh, share that we could put into uh, the links of the uh, links in the description? Yeah, I've got an Instagram as well, so you can toss that in there. Just you know, everything's the same, Phantom Universe, and uh, I think that I think that covers it. I appreciate it. Right on. Thank yeah, you man. so much for all that awesome information. Uh, love the perspective. I think that that is something that a lot of people try to talk about, but don't really have the words. And you're really able to like kind of illuminate that in a way that people can understand it, you know? Absolutely. So thank you so much. That's you guys should definitely check that out too. Click those links down in the description to follow Rivas Orion. And thanks again, Rivas. All right. Thank you guys. Have a good one. All right. Oh, 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 oh,